The New Testament epistles were received by their original readers in a far different manner than we typically experience them today, and this would have been true not only in the first generation of the church, but really for uh, centuries beyond it. Uh, many of the early Christians um, who first received these letters and, and for some time afterwards, some centuries, would have been uh, largely illiterate, many of them, and basically none of them would have had their own personal copies of the apostolic letters that they could take home and study and read at their leisure as we have today. Uh, rather, these early Christians uh, received these letters orally, um, and they were written for that purpose. They were written to be read to bodies of Christians out loud um, by the pastor of the church, of the local church. Often the whole letter would be read aloud in one sitting. They would hear it all together in the context of gathered Lord's Day worship as they came together to hear the word of God. Unfortunately, we don't really experience the New Testament this way in our world today. Um, now, there's nothing wrong, of course, with what we typically do, where we slowly preach our way through these letters, section by section, even verse by verse at times, and really unpack the meaning of different um, sentences or different paragraphs. But it is, in my mind, a loss to some extent that we don't have many opportunities to hear and experience these letters as they were first meant to be heard and experienced. And so this morning, um, as we close our sermon series on Hebrews, this is the last sermon on Hebrews in our series, and we're going to do something a little experimental, a little different. We're going to hear the bulk, spend the bulk of our time this morning just hearing the letter to the Hebrews, as it was originally been received um, by those to whom it was written, as it was meant um, to be heard. Now, before you start worrying, the epistle is um, too long, unfortunately, for me to read it to you in its entirety. We might do that if it was uh, Philippians or, or Ephesians or something. But I have worked to create a, a coherent series of excerpts from, extended excerpts from the letter, including sections from each of the 13 chapters that will hopefully give you a sense of the whole epistle, the whole letter as it hangs together, the argument that the apostle is making. And at the end of that reading, I will then make some brief comments on this last section of the letter that is before us today, Hebrews 13, 20 to 25. Now, we're doing this for Hebrews because um, particularly Hebrews, uh, most scholars um, agree, was, was written originally as a sermon. It was probably a, a verbal oral exhortation that was then recorded um, by someone close to the apostle and then distributed generally to the churches um, in uh, the Christian world of that day. It probably began its life as an oration, as a sermon, um, as a word spoken to the church in that manner. And so it's particularly appropriate for us to experience Hebrews in this way, as a sermon. And it is, without a doubt, one of the greatest sermons ever written or preached in the history of the world. It is a masterpiece of theology, of wrestling with the Old Testament scriptures, of pointing the congregation's eyes toward again and again, not only the past, but even the present work of our Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf. Let's hear it. 
Let's pray first. Blessed Lord, who caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us now to hear this portion of your word and to read, mark, learn, and even inwardly digest these words that we might embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, this God's Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He, God's Son, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name that He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, that is, God's Son. But we do see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he that is God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, and that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your, and I will tell of your name, To my brothers, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, For it is surely not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is therefore able to help those who are being tempted. Now take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come 
to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And therefore, while the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested also from his works as God did from his. And let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great High priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by God, who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him, that is to God, who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. To all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And this we will do, if God permits. Though we speak in this way, beloved, Yet in your case, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, 
so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he endures forever. Consequently, he, that is Jesus, our high priest, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because he continues forever, and he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Now he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect Forever. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places. And the true tent that the Lord set up. Not man. For when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to serve, the living God. 
Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Indeed, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having offered, been offered once to bear the sin of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing nearer. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though Abel died, he still speaks. And without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists." And that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. 
For he, that is Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. And what more shall I say? For time would fail for me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, all those who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in the dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the faith that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. Indeed, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. For we have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. No, we have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers. Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother, Timothy, has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. It is absolutely true. And it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. At the end of this remarkable letter, the apostle gives his readers a gift. He gives them a blessing. That's what he does. In the midst of their sin and their doubt, in the midst of their weariness and confusion, the apostle tells them this. He says, essentially, beloved, hang on to this. 
Beloved, you are safe with Jesus. You are safe with Him. Jesus, He emphasizes in this very last portion of His letter, is not only the one who has already become incarnate and has already won your salvation through His death and resurrection. No, the Apostle goes beyond that. No, this Jesus, the Apostle says, is the one whom the God of peace has brought again from the dead so that he might be today, in the here and now, your great shepherd. That also is one of the reasons that God raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, that he might in this present moment and forevermore be your shepherd. Be the one who watches over you, body and soul. Not just now, but into eternity. Remember that picture of the saints in heaven, the souls who await their resurrection. The elder says that they still are under the shepherding care of the great shepherd, Jesus. Beloved, do you know this? Do you know that you have now and will always have a great shepherd to watch over you? Jesus, the one through whom the Father has spoken. Jesus, the one who has died for your salvation. Jesus, the one who has risen in glory from the dead. He is now, today, in this moment, also your great shepherd. And this shepherd watches over your life in such a way that not a hair can fall from your head apart from the working of his will. For I tell you, beloved, he upholds the universe, even now, by the word of his power. All things are under his dominion, including every single minuscule detail of your life. Wherever you are today, whatever phase of your life that you are in, Whatever difficulty, whatever struggle you are facing with sin, Jesus, beloved, your great shepherd is with you in that place. And God's eternal covenant has been sealed with you by the shed blood of this shepherd. Because he is a good shepherd. He is a shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. He lays down his life for you, beloved. He did it once in space and time at Calvary, and he does it now, even now, for you today. And by the means of this great shepherd, by the means of the eternal covenant that has been sealed with his own blood, the God of peace, the God and Father of all, will now, he has promised, Complete in you everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. In other words, beloved, the God of peace has made this promise to you. That he will be with you by means of his son and he will complete the work that he has begun. He will bring it all the way to perfection. And he will do this through and with and by your shepherd. Jesus Christ. It cannot happen apart from your shepherd. That is how the God of peace and Father of all will keep all of his promises to you. Every single one, all the promises of God are yes and amen.
in Jesus. How will, God, how will the God of peace wipe away your tears? He will do it through Jesus, through your shepherd, through his presence with you now and in the future for all time. How will the God of peace forgive you of all your sin, which still plagues you? He will do it through the shed blood and continual intercession of your shepherd, Jesus. How will the God of peace hear and answer your prayers? He will do it through the ministry of Jesus Christ, your shepherd, who intercedes right now at God's right hand for you. How will the God of peace make you holy? He will do it through the righteousness and the purity and the sinlessness of your shepherd, Jesus. How will the God of peace raise you from the dead on the last day? He will do it through the authority and the power and the bodily return and the spoken living voice of your shepherd. Because those who belong to him know his voice when he calls. And that is how God will call you from the dead on the last day by the voice of your shepherd as he speaks your name. So grace to you, beloved. Grace to you all. And may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you not only for this passage this morning, but for the entirety of the letter to the Hebrews, and I pray, Father, that you would use even the reading and preaching of these words, of this letter today, to burn its message in our hearts by your Spirit, that we might be those who have faith and who through patience and obedience inherit the promises that you have secured for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.